to get out and do some fun things this week, but you are here, and this is a priority that you have in your life to worship together, to encourage one another, and to receive from God's Word this morning. And uh, just turn to the person next to you and say, man, I am encouraged you are here today. I am encouraged that you are here today. There's a lot of things that you can be doing, but we are here together. We're going to be encouraged by God's Holy Spirit and by His Word this morning. If we haven't met yet, I am uh, Tim Cadiz, and uh, I'm part of the pastoral team, and I have uh, oversight over men's ministry and currently working with our youth ministry. And previously, I was the pastor at our HCF Damascus campus, and for 12 and a half years, uh, we had been there under the Journey Church and Damascus Assembly of God. And during this process of partnership and being a parent-affiliated church with Hillside, um, one of the things that I had complete confidence in was that I already knew Pastor Dave and Kim, had known them for the past 12 years, and the things that I knew about Pastor Dave is that he loves God's Word. In fact, he has an insatiable appetite to always study and dive into and dig out the truths that are in God's Word like no other pastor I've ever known. I knew that about him. I knew that he had a heart for the community with the local schools and with those who are in need, whether they are hungry or homeless. And he had a great heart and a desire to reach those within our community. And he also has a love and a desire to have an influence and an expansion of God's love and truth in our local community, in our local city, in our county, and even in the state. He has a great vision. And I already, I'm already saying something you already know, uh, but you are so blessed to have Pastor Dave and Kim as your pastors. And it's a privilege to be a part of uh, this pastoral team. In Damascus, the transition there is going fantastic. Better than I could have ever imagined or hoped for or envisioned. Pastor Matt and Mariah and their team and those who have joined them, they are doing a fantastic job of just encouraging and bringing new life and energy and worship to the Damascus Church family. And together, Hillside Christian Fellowship is going to have a greater influence and impact within our communities. Amen? Amen. And you're a big part of that. I want to introduce uh, my family. Uh, we haven't had a chance to meet yet again. Tim, my wife, Charlene, and she is a Santa Cruz native. And I took her away from Santa Cruz, and she's never forgiven me, even after 28 years. Uh, but maybe someday we will have an opportunity to, uh, to go back. Santa Cruz native, my beautiful beach wife. And then I have three kids. I have two boys. They are uh, adults. Asher is living in Southern California. He is completing a discipleship program down there, working in uh, the L.A. area. And we have Bryce. He's 21. He's newly married to his lovely wife, Haley. He is graduating this spring at Portland State University. Proud of him. And we have Leah, who is still with us. And she is completing her last year in high school at Clackamas Community College. And uh, she is uh, one of the new employees of that Cupcake. And uh, we are excited about that. <laughs> and we are just so uh, privileged to be a part of the Hillside family and continue to getting to know each and every one of you 
in the days and months ahead. Well, as we continue in the study of the book of John, and uh, we want to just continue the narrative where Pastor Dave left off last week in John chapter 6. And if you'll turn there, as we uncover the depth and the riches of Jesus' words and actions that challenge us in this passage, do you believe? And last week, Pastor Dave, as he looked at chapter 6 and verses 1 through 15, you explored uh, the feeding of the 5,000 men, and of course the 1,000 other women and children that were there with them, with just a boy's lunch. And we explored that Jesus is our great provider. We can have trust and hope in him for our daily lives. And today's passage continues this narrative from the day's events of feeding the 5,000 to in the evening and the events that unfold there. And so let's continue this narrative in John chapter 6, and I'm going to start with verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, they departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. They were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word this morning, we look to it with an expectation and an anticipation that your Holy Spirit will reveal to us the truths that we need in our lives today. This won't just be knowledge and history and information, but it will be life-giving truth that compels us and drives us to be truly followers of you and to have a great influence within our families, the workplace, and in our community. Father, we're just grateful for your word this morning and what it reveals about who you are and in the deity of your Son, Jesus Christ. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. John chapter 6. Jesus walking on the water. Even if you don't attend church and don't read the Bible, you probably know that Jesus walked on water. It's common knowledge. And this is that passage. And it's also shared in the narratives that we find in Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6. And Matthew's uh, narrative of this, these events includes the invitation of Peter to uh, join him on the water and that interaction. And Matthew and Mark also add the description that the disciples, when they saw Jesus on the water, that they thought he was a ghost and they cried out. And so we have three instances that describe this same event of Jesus walking on the water. And this is one of those standout events that highlight Jesus' divinity as the Son of God. And we even use that phrase to walk on water or walking on water to, uh, as a figure of speech to describe someone who is doing an extraordinary event. 
or someone who can do no wrong, or someone who is extra special. And if you have siblings uh, in the house, or older siblings or whatever, you know, there may be one that always seems to do everything right. And you may say, well, so-and-so, mom and dad just think they walk on water. They can't do anything wrong. I'm the one that always gets in trouble. We use that phrase often, to walk on water. But one of the disciples' reactions that stands out is fear. Everyone say fear. They were afraid. Says it plain and simple. It's in the middle of the night. And they are in the middle of the sea. And in the middle of the windstorm. And even though some of them are experienced fishermen, they are in a very desperate situation. They have been rowing for hours. And they are in the middle of their toil. Fear, being afraid, can be a very real emotion. I learned the grip of fear, pure terror, as an 11-year-old boy. I want to take you to a, a place that maybe most of you have never been, and that is to a small town in Ellendale, North Dakota. I'm 11 years old, and I want to hang out and have a sleepover with my three friends, and it's a hot summer evening, so I invite my three friends over to our, our house and at that time, we lived in a small town, and there's these duplexes, and there was a, an alleyway road, and then there was a strip of grass and a grove of olive trees, and on the other side of that was a fence and a field, a tall grass field with some grove of trees that were in the field on the other side. And so we were camped out there. We got our sleeping bags, flashlights, and other fun things that 11-year-old boys would do, and we are... Uh, the evening is uh, starting to come, and the sun's going down, and the colors of the, of the sunset are shimmering yellow and orange in the hot summer uh, night. And the grass is kind of gently moving with the wind. It was a perfect sleepover night for four 11-year-old boys. Now my dad is a little bit of a prankster, and he uh, at that time took a habit of taking evening walks to pray, and maybe to do other things as well, just get exercise. So he starts heading out in the evening as we are kind of camped out there in the grass under the trees. And I see my dad, and I'm like, Dad, don't you think about scaring us? Because I know my dad's a little bit of a prankster. And he just kind of waves to us, and he takes off on down the trail and disappears uh, through the trees off to, uh, off to the right. We don't think anything about it. We just continue doing what 11-year-old boys do. We get on our flashlights as it's starting to get a little bit darker. And we're, we're messing around. Sun's uh, has gone down, but there's still some light out there. Suddenly, one of my friends stands up and points out over the field of the grass. And about 50 yards away, there is a figure standing there, motionless. Standing like this, just staring at us. And he goes, what's that out there in the field? And we all got to gather around, and we got our flashlights, and we're looking. And I go, that's just my dad. He's out there in the field. And my dad was wearing his green army jacket. He had this wig that he put on, and he's just motionless. So we laugh at him, Dad, I know that's you. You can't scare us. And we start laughing. Oh, that's my dad. And he disappears. He drops down in the grass. Again, the grass is about three feet high. So we don't think anything about it. And then a few moments later, he pops up again, this time about 20 yards away, much closer. And it's getting darker, so we can't really see the features of his face. And he just stands there motionless 
in the grass, facing us, 20 yards away. And again, my friends see him first. They get out their flashlight. He's there again. Look, Dad, stop it. You're scaring us. My friends are going to leave if you don't stop scaring us. He doesn't say a word, doesn't move, and he drops down in the grass again and disappears. Kind of think, well, maybe he's done. He's not going to take it any further than that. So we are kind of in our sleeping bags now. A lot of time has passed, well, at least for 11-year-olds. Maybe like 20 minutes or so. And it's nearly completely dark. We got our flashlights out, and we're kind of peeking up again in the grass, you know, to see if he pops up. He's nowhere to be seen. So I figured he has had enough of his fun. He's gone back to the house. Then suddenly, one of my friends starts screaming and, oh, 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 and he gets a flashlight and he shines it right into the grass where there is the wire fence. And there is a face just sticking out of the grass with his wig and looking blankly right at us, only about six feet away from our sleeping bags. My friends scream in terror, as only 11-year-old boys can scream in terror. And we dive into our sleeping bags, and we are shaking, ah! and we are like rolling together in our sleeping bags like four little worms on the grass. Well, suddenly, someone starts laughing like, oh, oh, it's got to be gone. And so you look, no, you look, I'm not getting out of my sleeping bag, you look. Finally, one of them gets at me. He pokes his head out of the sleeping bag, points a flashlight at the fence where the grass was, and he's gone. Like, oh, he's gone. You guys can get up. And so we all kind of poke our heads out of our sleeping bag. And then the friend next to me, suddenly he looks up at the tree up right as we were huddled there, and his face is frozen in terror, and he can't say a word. He's like, oh, 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 oh. And I turn to look up as I'm laying there in the grass, and right next to me, only six inches away, is this figure of a man in a green uh, jacket with this gray thing. I can't see his face, and he's looking at me like this, right down at me, right by the tree. I screamed in terror. My friends screamed in terror. We were like shrieking, all huddled up, that this terrible creature was right next to us. I really can't remember too much of the events after that because fear has paralyzed my memory. I do not know what happened. My dad must have calmed us down or something because he must have thought, this is the best prank ever that I got these four 11-year-old boys, brought them to complete terror. I do know that one of my friends uh, had an accident and he was so mad, he got up right then and went home and I, we never saw him again that evening. And the others, I think they went home too and and I think I just went inside because I was too terrified to sleep outside. Pure terror and fear I learned from my father. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, kind of leads to a question that I have for us this morning as we look at this narrative. When have you been the most afraid or fearful? And maybe it's not like mine, like a childhood prank, uh, that kind of fear or terror, or not even from like a haunted house or a scary movie, but really a real fear because of a real uh, situation that may create loss, a loss of something or someone. A loss of a job or income can bring about fear or make you afraid. A loss of a business and you have worked hard to start from scratch, suddenly it's in trouble. A loss of your home in foreclosure. 
bankruptcy, loss of your health, whether it's through an accident or a disease, loss of a pet, loss of a dear friend, or loss of a family member. And we've all experienced those moments of potential loss or even went through a loss. And we may have had other opportunities or things that we've gone through where there has been an emotion of fear that is very real in our lives. And it makes us feel tense, anxious. And what happens when we experience a real fear? Well, we freeze. We stop and we focus on whatever that fear happens to be. And then we have two reactions. You guys have heard this before. There's the fight response or the flight response. We either attack the fear or we run from that potential threat. And when that fear is overwhelming, we fright. Where we do nothing, where we are immobilized and we are frozen in fear. And that's, as a child, that's where I felt I was. I was in complete fright. I was immobilized and frozen in fear. As we look at God's instruction and God's word in this short narrative, but a powerful narrative that we have this morning, we can see that fear is a part of what the disciples were experiencing in a very real sense out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the night. And when we find ourselves in the midst of one of life's storms, when we are struggling and rowing out on that sea and the winds and the waves are just pummeling us and it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere in our own strength and we are fearful for our lives or a potential loss, that's very real. How do we respond to that? I believe there is a powerful truth that even in this short narrative that can encourage us this morning. And so in the midst of the storm, I, I have three things that I pulled out from this passage. In the midst of the storm, number one, we can have courage. Everyone say courage. courage. Because of who Jesus is. We can have courage because of who Jesus is. How did Jesus respond when, uh, when they were afraid and they saw him? He said, it is I. It is I. And the Greek phrase for it is I literally is rendered as I am. Everyone say I am. back on there. Great. I am. That is a powerful statement that has some uh, deep meaning that is behind the I am. For instance, when Jesus says I am, it is a statement of self-existence that we also see at the burning bush with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And in uh, Exodus with Moses, verses 5 through 6 says, Then he said, Do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then a little bit further down in verses 13 through 14, continues with, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The great I am. And later on in the book of John, John records an interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees in the temple. And in John chapter 8, Jesus is engaged with them with a, uh, some instruction and kind of an argument. And he said to them, you are from beneath, Jesus pointing to the Pharisees. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? They continued on in John chapter 8, a discussion that led to talk about Abraham. And then um, in verses 57 through 58 in John 8, then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they tried to stone him, but Jesus passed uh, freely among them. I am. When you are in the midst of the storm, the most powerful uh, thing that you can remember for courage is to remember that Jesus is with you and he is the great I am. He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and there is nothing that you could ever experience, no storm too great, no wind, no waves, no tragedy, no loss, no unexpected uh, change in your life that Jesus cannot walk with you and encourage you and overcome and give you victory. Amen? Amen. Well, wow, what a great encouragement that we all have. When we place our faith and belief in Jesus Christ, the one who can walk on water, the one who is the great I am, the one who always was and always will be, is with you. That is an amazing concept that is really hard for us to fully grasp and to realize, but it is a truth, a powerful truth that we can hold on to. I am. When I think of myself and my limitation of I am, I am because of my parents. I am because I drink plenty of water on a regular basis. Well, maybe it's a Coke or two and milk, but you know, I get liquid. I am because I like to eat lots of food throughout the day and the week. And if I stopped any one of those things, I would no longer exist in my human form. But God is I am self-existent and doesn't need any other external circumstance to be. The great I am is. Point number two. In the midst of life's storm, we can have assurance of peace through his words. Everyone say peace. A storm is chaotic and stressful and is anything but peaceful. But we can have peace in the midst of a storm because of the assurance of Jesus' own words. And it was a simple phrase that he said to the disciples in the boat where he said, Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Powerful words, simple, short to the point, but in itself should give us the hope and the encouragement that we can have peace no matter what storm we are facing. Jesus' words in John chapter 10, 27 through 30 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life, they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. It's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus' own words. And in John chapter 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. If you want the assurance of peace in the midst of life's storm, trust in Jesus' own words. Be not afraid. Just remember that phrase. I don't have to be afraid. Because Jesus' words are comforting to give me assurance of peace. And we will, he will help guide me through whatever storm we are facing or I am facing at that time. In the midst of life storms, we can see in point number three is this. We can rejoice in his presence. Everyone say rejoice. rejoice. We can rejoice in his presence. And then the phrase that we see here, right after Jesus said, it is I, be not afraid, says, then they willingly received him into the boat. Other versions you said, and they gladly received him into the boat. They were overjoyed that it was Jesus. They were no longer afraid and they wanted his presence in the boat because once they knew he was with them in the boat, they were going to be okay. John 14, verses 18 through 20 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus' presence is always with you. God's Holy Spirit indwells within each believer and dwells with you. In the midst of life's storms, you may feel that you are all alone in the stress, the anxiety, and the uncertainty. But you are not alone. Jesus is with you. And when you realize that and when you trust in that, then you can rejoice in his presence in your life. And you will know it's going to be okay. And he will help me through this difficult time. And in Matthew 28, 20, the last statement that he makes, and when he shares the great commission to his disciples and followers, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just a few reminders of the truth and the power of who Jesus is. But here at the end of this narrative, there is a second and often overlooked miracle in this passage. Where it says, and immediately once Jesus was received into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. They were in the middle of the sea, three miles in, across the six to seven mile stretch. But when Jesus got into the boat immediately or straight forward or right thereafter, Jesus and the disciples were on land into their destination. The disciples had been rowing against the wind and the waves for hours into the evening 
and into the middle of the night, maybe three or four in the morning. And all they could do was get halfway against this headway wind. They had little accomplished for all their toil and their work. They were exhausted, they were frustrated, and they were fearful. But when Jesus is received into the boat, everything changes at that moment. Immediately, they were at their destination. Immediately, they were taken care of. And they can rest. And I can't think how many times in my life where in my own strength and my own wisdom, my own knowledge, I was like the disciples rowing, trying to accomplish something in my life. And there was wind and there was waves and sometimes it seemed I was going further back than forward. Whatever it is I was trying to strive towards. Maybe I was trying to strive for importance and value or accomplishment. Maybe I was striving for moral strength and righteousness in my own self. Maybe I was striving for material security. And then April 15th comes around and Uncle Sam takes half of it. Maybe I was striving for meaning and love. But in my own best efforts, sometimes there was little to gain. And sometimes there was often failure. But when I trust in Jesus, and when I willingly receive him into my life, Immediately, there is hope. Immediately, there is wisdom. There is strength. There is uh, protection. There is righteousness. There is joy. There is provision and courage. Even when I am fearful in my own understanding and emotions. I'm going to have Pastor Dennis and the praise team come. And I think a key point that is here is that when I believe that Jesus walks on water, it changes everything for me. We all know, even kids know, Jesus walked on water. But when you truly believe and you trust that Jesus walks on water, not as a single event that happened 2,000 years ago, but that is in his power and in his divinity as the Son of God, the great I am, that when he walks on water, then whatever challenges or storms that I may face seem inconsequential and don't seem so fearful. That is encouraging. And I invite you to stand. I'm going to give you a challenge this morning. The challenge that I have for you is this. Who would say... I am in the midst of a storm. Might be a financial storm. Might be a relationship storm. Might be a personal struggle that you have. It might be a fear of a loss or of someone. Whatever it may be. But you feel that you are in the midst of that storm and that there is fear and uncertainty and anxiety that is uh, just like a shadow or a heavy darkness that is over you. And maybe this morning, you need courage. And to remember that Jesus is, I am. Maybe this morning, you need an assurance of peace. And to remember that Jesus said, be not afraid. And maybe this morning, you need to be comforted. And this morning, you need to rejoice in his presence. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, going to give you an opportunity to respond and I would like to just offer a prayer of blessing and encouragement over you this morning 
No one's looking around, and so this is a personal reflective response, and that is, if you are in the midst of a storm this morning, just simply raise your hand, and I'm going to say a prayer of blessing over you this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you see the hands that are raised, and Lord, you know the storm that my friends, my brothers and sisters are in. Lord, it can be very real to us. There is a very real fear that it's not going to work out the way that we hoped that it would. We may not know how it's going to work out. But Father, in these difficult times, in these difficult situations, we can place our trust and our hope in you because you are the I am. You are the hope of salvation. You are the one who gives us courage and strength when we are immobilized in fear. You are the one who can give us wisdom and knowledge when we don't know the way out. And you can provide peace and comfort that is a supernatural gift of love by your grace and mercy upon us. Father, we place our hope and our trust in you this morning for your love, your peace, your courage, and your strength. And Lord, may we always remember that when you walked on water, it's not a figure of speech, it's not a cliche, but it is a powerful example of who you truly are as the Son of God. And may we believe that. We just ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Let's worship together.